Hey, Eric, how are you doing? I'm doing great, AJ. How are you? Good. Thank you for joining us today at Infamous Horns. So how did Ghost of War come about? Uh, you know what? A number of forces pulled this all together. One is that I've always thought that horror and war are more closely aligned than they are represented cinematically. And I think that starts from the first time I saw Platoon in 1986. And there's a scene where Charlie Sheen is awake in the forest at night and the enemy starts creeping along and shadows at first and a hint of a movement behind a tree. And at that point, I'm like, I'm in a horror film. (laughs) I mean, war is a horror film right now. (laughs) And I think that... That, and that that's so brought that up because I was, uh, you know, reading articles this past week about how World War One kind of gave us uh, modern horror films with modern medicine and all that theology as well. Like we gotten to see that in real life with modern horror, with what was really going on in war. Yeah, I, I that's that's really interesting. Um, and it, it's strange to me almost that it doesn't happen more often in movies that these war scenes, which are always exciting and visceral, um, aren't painted with the paintbrush of pure dread and terror uh, as often as they could be. There's a lot of glory and, and heroism. But uh, I think today we know how, you know, it's, right. to say the least. Because uh, Ghost of War is a World War II uh, horror film. And I've always been enamored with uh, the metaphors and the similes from horror films, like Texas Saints on Massacre being kind of like a Tristan Alice in Wonderland and like a Vietnam movie. What are some of your favorite kind of metaphors that you've seen in horror movies that aren't necessarily war-centric, but yet they have all these metaphors for being involved in war-centric times. You know, it's funny. I'd say Aliens, I've read, is a metaphor for the Vietnam War in that first we try to colonize them and then (laughs) <laughs> went went sideways real bad, um, and the you know the Shining is famously with that documentary Room Two Thirty Seven. Uh, you know, some say is there's a, a metaphor for you know what uh, what Americans did to the Indians over time. Sort of that sort of horror is is underscoring that film. Um, I always or it follows recently. You know, a film about uh, SPDs. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I think the the clever ones always have that somewhere buried beneath it. What and uh, safe with Julianne Moore kind of did that with the AIDS crisis as well when that uh, came out in the late nineties. Just having God, that. that's right, right. So it's all like uh, my great friend Adam Marcus, who directed Jason Goes to Hell who's worked on many other films, said that horror and science fiction is the one where you can give people vegetables with their desserts while they eat it and while they enjoy <laughs> <eat> it, <laughs> watching the story unfold. 
Now, what were you aiming for with Ghost of War? Like trying to not manipulate the audience per se, but just getting like an undertone across. Yeah, you know what? Uh, for for those who are listening who uh, <laughs> have watched the finale of The Sopranos and know the the dread that they felt in the final 10 minutes of that episode might in some way represent the constant paranoia of Tony Soprano. I went into this thinking I would love the audience to feel what it's like for a soldier who, you know, is seeing things out of the corners of their eyes at this point in the game. And that the, I think George Carlin said it so perfectly in a bit years ago that World War One they called it shell shock, and then World War Two it was battle fatigue, and then by the Vietnam War it was operational exhaustion, and now it is post traumatic stress disorder. But I really thought like there is something that happens in the mind of someone at war. And that a horror movie would be the best way to showcase, to give the audience that same feeling, not just telling them, but showing them and injecting them with dread and paranoia um, to best tell the story of what it might be actually like to be at war. And, you know, if that means putting them in a haunted house movie, then maybe that may be the best way, like The Sopranos, to make an audience feel what the characters are feeling. Right. And what was the casting process like for Ghost Wars? Because you have so many great up-and-coming young actors in this, including Brandon, including Alan Richardson, who just gave so much range that we normally don't see from him because I'm so used to seeing him in Blue Mountain State, you know, and I'm not used to him being somebody else in Thad Castle, it was just impressive to see him in this movie. Yeah, Alan Richson was one of the many gifts where I have a character named Butchie. The thing that had to be there is a sort of beefy, muscular guy. Uh, you know, so that limits you right away to, you know, three to five percent of the working actors out there. And I looked at so many people and every single one of them was like, yeah, well, he looks like a trainer at my gym, but I'm just not seeing Gucci who is likable and funny. And then I saw one reel of Alan's where it's a comedy. You're right. Taken from a sitcom where he has, I don't know if it's microphallus and he's on a date or trying to pick up a girl and he's so funny in it. He is fall down <laughs> funny at the way he's got a certain confidence matched with insecurity, but he's being blasé about this micro palace issue of his. And I'm like, that's Butchie. They're like, that's it. Stop. We're done. We're done. This is the guy. And what he brought to that character, you know, was so like three dimensional, almost four dimensional for what was written as, you know, the meathead, you know, he gave it, so much more life. So, yeah, Alan was just, oh, my God, like a dream, <laughs> a dream. And he had to suffer a lot during the making of the film with this prosthetic that 
you know, cover up half his face. And he was such a trooper because, you know, I'd see him walking around and, and I would, oh, my heart would go out to the guy. And I'm like, oh, shit, I don't even know. This is awful. This is awful. Like uh, someone, give him some popcorn, something, please. You know, take Right, and you had Billy Zane in this as well. How was it like getting him involved in this project? It was really interesting because we needed somebody that we knew it was going to be such an audience manipulation. And that the first time you see Billy Zane, something happens where you're like, huh? I thought Billy Zane was in this movie. <laughs> Don't look like he's in this movie. Um, and he's playing a German. And it, and I've had people say to me, like, I wasn't sure it was him because it, it just, it, he played it so well. And with the German, like, I thought, maybe that guy just looks a lot like him. And it's only later in the movie where you realize, oh, no, that's definitely him. And without giving anything away, there's a, there's a, there's a strong duality to the character he's playing. Um, and I wanted someone who had sort of the... I don't know the history, the Hollywood <laughs> of, of Hollywood that could that could have a, a gravitas to both scenes because he's been in both types of genres that would appear in this film. Uh, you know, he's done them both very well. So I, I wanted someone that the audience wouldn't blink at, even though the role itself, you know, asks a lot of the viewer. And one final question for you. The ending is one of those types of endings that's rather going to sit well with people or might be one of those endings that just takes people completely out of the film. So how was the process like creating the ending with it being so balls to the wall like it was? Yeah, you know, the it, it's funny because I watch so many horror movies and they're so predictable and because they're predictable, um, sometimes you just like it. Sometimes if you go right. to McDonald's, you want a Big Mac. You don't want a steak, and you don't want sushi. And here we were willing to take a, a big risk. We're going to show them the hamburger. Halfway through, we're going to give them a little steak, and it might end on sushi, the best sushi <laughs> they've ever had, you know. But right. we knew it would be it would definitely, you know, be a bit of um, going out on the limb and, and uh, having some balls to do it. But we all decided, you know what? When we read the script, we we loved it and we're sticking with it. And, you know, so far, you know, I've talked to people about it and I've almost um, pre-warned them saying, oh, my God, you know, I'm just not sure you're going to dig the ending. And then they come back saying, no, I don't understand. What this was That was perfect. What on earth would you have done differently? And I'm like, well, I'm glad you said what you said. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today at Infamous Horrors, Eric. It's been a real pleasure. Well, thank you, AJ. I appreciate it. Pleasure being have here. Good, have a great day, Eric. You too. Bye-bye.